in the season of giving. Many of you have already maybe completed your Christmas shopping. I'm not one of them. Maybe some of you in the midst of COVID, you just, you strapped on your mask and your headgear and you just braved the store during COVID. I was not one of them. Maybe some of you would rather browse Amazon on your couch. You guys show hands, yeah, from the comfort of your jammies. I see a lot of that going on. But yeah, no matter how we give, this is the season to give. So today we're gonna talk about giving. And I feel it in the room already. The minute I say we're gonna talk about giving, I can guarantee whether any of you would admit it or not, you're like, great, Brianna, bringing a message on tithing, tithing 2020, like 2020 wasn't rough enough. Now you're, what are you asking me to give now, right? There's just something about that. So I want to, before I lose all of you, let you kind of put your mind at ease. We are not gonna talk about money today. Everybody just kind of woosah, right? Take a deep breath. Because we're not gonna talk about money and I'll tell you why we're not gonna talk about money. Because when we're uncomfortable giving God our finances, giving God our money, it's a symptom of a much bigger and deeper issue. I felt the Lord just ministering that to me as I was preparing. He's like, this really isn't about whether you give me your money. It's something so much deeper. So that's what we're gonna talk about and dive deeper today. We're gonna talk about the story of Elijah and the widow from Zarephath. Um, whether or not you're familiar with the story of Elijah and the widow, uh, we're gonna get very familiar today and you don't have to already know it uh, to get what's happening in this story. Elijah was an Old Testament prophet. We have the New Testament and the Old Testament. He lived in Israel during the time of King Ahab. Many of you guys are probably familiar with King David. He wrote the Psalms. It was the golden era in Israel. Well, that era, it, it's long gone. It's long over. It's 2020 in Israel right now. It's rough. And King Ahab is king. And he, his government is officially supporting the worship of another God that isn't the God of Israel. Sound familiar, huh? The government's like, hey, the, you know what? Don't worry about that. It's all about, you know, what's good for you. And we want you to worship Baal, so let's have a party. And that's what we're gonna do. And that's when Elijah is living. Elijah's name, when you look into the meaning of his name, his name literally means Yahweh is my God. So we're looking at a time where nobody wants to follow the God of Israel. And every time Elijah hears his name or somebody says his name, Elijah, it's like, Yahweh's my God. Yahweh's my God. He's like standing out like a sore thumb. Even his name makes people uncomfortable. And so when we catch up to Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 17, he is prophesying judgment against Israel because of the idol worship that has been going on. It says in verse one of 1 Kings 17, and Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. He tells King Ahab, you know what, man? There's gonna be a drought, a serious drought. 
Now, what's interesting about this is Baal was actually the god of the weather. So they believed that this god gave them good weather and, and, and watered their crops and all of that. So Elijah is basically calling out their god, saying, uh-uh, Yahweh's my god, and I'm gonna pray to him, and he's gonna make it stop raining, and there's nothing that your god can do about it. My god is mightier than Baal which immediately paints a target on this guy's back. He is standing up in an age where it's just not popular, where even um, told in scripture there is like a remnant of Israel, right, that still believes in Yahweh, but they're, they're hiding out. They're long gone. Elijah's a lone ranger. He feels very alone, and God tells him, you know what, Elijah? You better run. That's what I would do in that situation. <laughs> I made some people angry, and I better run. So he tells Elijah, you better run, but I'm gonna take care of you. That's the footnote. I'm gonna take care of you. So would you please turn with me to 1 Kings 17 as we continue our story together. You can read along in your notes. Verse seven, sometime later the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. And then the word of the Lord came to him. Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. Let's pause here for a second. Up until this point, Elijah had been relying on ravens to bring him bread and he had been drinking water from a brook, just whatever the land provided. Basically, God sent buzzards every day to drop a sandwich down, and that's what Elijah ate every day. But now we see in verse 7, the brook dries up. The circumstances of the land, right? Elijah's like, I'm going to prove my God is greater, and here we go. And now his little brook is dried up. Don't let anyone tell you that if you serve the Lord, things won't get dry. Don't let anyone tell you that in those moments where you say yes to the Lord like Elijah did, and he, put, he literally put his name on the line, Yahweh is my God, it dried up. When God allows things in your life, in my life, to dry up, it's because he's moving us to a different provider. It wasn't that he was taking his provision away. He was moving him to a different provider. And he moves Elijah to this widow. So let's pick it back up in verse 10. You can read along. So he went to Zarephath, and when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? And as she was going to get it, he called, and bring me, please, a piece of bread. It sounds like my mom every time I visit the house. Do your parents do that? And are you going to the kitchen? And while you're in the kitchen, would you please grab this, right? That's what Elijah does. Now, I want you to put yourself in her shoes because this man that she doesn't know walks up to her, asks her for water, okay, you know? But then he's like, hey, can I have a piece of bread? How many of us, like, 
we get uncomfortable when we're around people with need. Like, let's, let's be honest. Like, we're in our cars, and, you know, somebody comes up to the window, they want something, it's like, a window goes up. How quick can I get it up? How quick can I get it up? Oh, don't make eye contact. What do they want from me? They're going to want something. And this woman gets approached by a man she doesn't know. So you can feel the uncomfortability and the awkwardness of the moment. And as surely as the Lord your God lives, she replies in verse 12, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. This woman, she's starving. You can feel the desperation. She's already resolved that her life is going to end. There's nothing, and this is her last meal. And Elijah says to her in verse 13, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me, and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. Verse 16, for the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Back then, Widows were known, they were notorious for their poverty. And this particular widow is gathering sticks, okay, which tells us something. Because at the time, there was a shortage of food and a shortage of water. But did we in Israel, there's no shortage of sticks. There's no shortage of wood. She doesn't even have that. And she's out there picking it up off the ground, gathering what little she has. Not only that, but she actually lives in Zarephath, which is significant because Zarephath at the time was the center of Baal worship. So this God that Elijah's called out, everybody in this town is pro-Baal. Everybody in this town is like, hey, this is, this is our God. So he's going into the enemy territory. Just a side note, God will often test your faith by sending you somewhere you don't want to be because it doesn't make sense to you. God sends Elijah to this woman. He had to be thinking, like, how are you going to take care of me? Like, the birds, I get, like, you control the birds, but this lady, like, she's got nothing. How are you going to take care of me with that? but he obeys God and he goes. And Elijah has his own faith journey throughout this. God moves in his life and it's amazing what happens. But this morning, I wanna focus on the widow because I believe what she has to show us, her story, I believe that it's powerful. So let's look again in verse 10. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. 
He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? And as she was going to get it, he called, and bring me, please, a piece of bread. Now let's check out her response. This is what she says back to him in verse 12. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Do you feel the desperation? If you're a parent, you want to provide for your family, you want to take care of your kids, right? This is her last meal. She isn't looking at it like an inconvenience, like, oh, I don't know if I feel like entertaining today. You know, I don't feel like cooking for out-of-towners. I don't know, you know, I went grocery shopping this week, and I don't want to have to go back out there, you know, visit the Ralphs of Israel or whatever it is. You know, I, I, I don't know if I feel like doing that. No. She is facing certain death, and now this man of God Okay, who's not even, she says, as the Lord, your God lives. So this isn't even her God. This man is asking her to give up her last chance to have a meal with her son before they die. He's asking a big ask. Final moments with a loved one. All that she has just bringing her starvation and the pain that much closer. And so from this, we learn the first of several important truths from the widow's story. So you can go ahead and turn your notes and you can follow along. Number one, giving to God will always involve risk. Giving to God will always involve risk. For the widow, she is having to risk her and her son's last chance to eat. Think about that. She's already expecting to die, guys. Death is coming. But she has to give up the last opportunity to eat with her son ever. For those of you that are here, for, for myself, God is asking you to risk something today. It could be anything. Again, it doesn't have to be monetary. For some of you, it may be a desire to be married. As someone who was single for 36 years, I get it. You know, there's a drought in the land, you know? Can't find me a man, you know? Like, come on. We, we look around and we're like, we end up sometimes in relationships that we know are less than God's best because we don't wanna risk that maybe I won't find someone. Maybe, like the widow, maybe she died without a meal, I may die alone. As someone who was single that long, you, you do say that to yourself, like once every, I don't know, five years, Valentine's Day, whatever it is. But, you know, maybe God is asking you to give him to risk your career. You get in a job, you're climbing the corporate ladder, things are good. And then maybe someone starts asking you to do something that's not on the up and up. And you think to yourself, ooh, I don't wanna risk like letting this go because this kind of opportunity may never come my way again. You know, it's so easy 
to not want to risk. Maybe it's ministry. I used to work a nine to five. It's, it's secure. It's a lot easier, you know? Nine to five, and they mail you your paycheck, and you don't do anything else but put your feet up on those days off, right? You know where everything's coming from. Maybe it's not even like a life of ministry. Maybe it's just you ministering to people during the week or on Sunday. Because, you know, then you got to risk your time. It's the biggest commodity, right? Oh, well, if I do that, I might not have time for me, you know? Might not have time for, you know, that pedicure or whatever it might be, you know? If I spend that time at church, if I spend that time ministering to someone, I could go on and on. But for each of us, giving to God is going to ask us to risk something. So I want to look at Elijah's response to the widow because I believe that thousands of years later, the words Elijah speaks to the widow, God is speaking to you and I right here, right now. So would you go with me to verse 13? Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Elijah says, don't be afraid. I want you to say that with me. One, two, three. Don't be afraid. One more time. Come on. Don't be afraid. God promises that he will provide for her, but the first step, that first crossing of the threshold is to not be afraid. See, because we think that risk has to accompany fear. We think they go hand in hand. If I risk this, then I have to be afraid. But in God's kingdom, risk doesn't accompany fear. In God's kingdom, it accompanies expectancy. You can go ahead and fill that in your notes. It accompanies expectancy. We need to say no to the fear and say yes to God making good on his promises. And not only that, not just to make good, not just to like hit it, but to do greater than we could ask, think, or imagine. I want us to take a moment and ask ourselves, what am I afraid of risking? What is it? We all have something. There's nobody in this room who doesn't have something that they are afraid to risk. And I guarantee you right now, it's just already popping up in your mind, right? Like picture in picture, right? Like you're watching me, but like, you know, like when my husband watches the sports, it's over here and it's still going, right? It's there. You know what God is saying to you. What is that thing that you are afraid of risking? Which brings us back to the widow. All she has right now is a promise from God, not even a God that she has a relationship and has come through with her for her before. It's not like she has a history with this God. All she has is a promise from an unknown God and a final meal. And Elijah is asking her to put God first before her own well-being, before even the well-being of her son. I want you to think about that. That's heavy. That's a big ask. How, I'm not a parent, but how many of you guys as parents, you love your kids. How many of you would risk the well-being 
of your children. It is no small ask. So we go to the place where we go, why, God, would you even ask this? That's messed up. Why would you ask this woman to give her last meal? We don't understand. And I'm going to tell you why. Because number two in your notes, giving to God tells him that I trust him with what I value most. What she valued most in the world was her son. And when she gave that to God, when she gave him their chance to have a last moment together, she was telling him that she trusted him with what she valued most. I believe God is asking you and me a big ask today. And in the light of things, it's not our last meal with our family. He's not asking us to starve, but he's asking for each of us. Proportionally, the ask is big. He's asking us a big ask, but he's asking you to put him first. Just like the widow, before your own hopes, before your own dreams, before your own security, whatever it may be, he wants to be first. So I want us to do something together. You can just set your, set your papers aside a second because there's something that happens when we just, vroom, we just focus in on what the Lord is saying. So you can just close your eyes and just take a moment and search your heart. The Lord's here. His presence is here. He's moving. He's speaking. Let's ask ourselves, am I trusting God with what I value most? Not do I trust God, is it fleeting, you know, is it, you know, when I feel like it. No, do I trust God with what I value most? Allow that thing to come to your mind, your family, your career, your relationships, your future, your security, your happiness. Gosh, in our generation, that's a big one. Do you trust God? with your happiness, that he will give you joy. Go ahead and open your eyes. See, the widow had to say yes to be the one that God gave that particular blessing to. Think about that. The widow had to say yes and risk and give what she valued most to be the one that God gives this particular blessing that we're gonna read about to her. I don't know if you know this, but later on in Luke, she's mentioned. It's pretty cool. This small widow from, from Zarephath, she's mentioned in Luke 4, 25 and 26, it says, I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time. When the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land, Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. There were no shortage of widows, guys. It wasn't like she was the widow of Zarephath. There had been a drought for three years. People had been dying. There was grief all over the land, and all the widows were hungry. And she wasn't the only 
one. But God wanted to do something particular for this particular woman at this particular moment in time. Oftentimes, God will ask you that big ask because he wants to give you a big blessing and the only way for him to give you that big blessing is for you to say yes. I want you to put that in your notes. Yes, yes, big letters. That's what he's asking for. He is asking for your yes. Let's look at verse 15 of our story. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Let me sum it up for you guys. She said yes and God fulfilled his promise and he blessed her. That's how it works. In God's kingdom, that's how it works. She says yes, and God fulfills his promise, and he blesses her. Not only that, but this is the exciting part. He uses her as a channel of blessing. So she not only ends up with her, yes, providing for her son, but she provides for Elijah too. When you give God your yes, then he's not only gonna provide for you, but he's gonna use you and deposit something into you that's gonna flow out into other people and bless them. That's how he works. When you say yes, he blesses you, you bless others. But the problem is that nine out of 10 times, we wanna tell God how he's gotta do it. Right? We wanna tell him how he's gotta do it, but it ain't gonna come the way that we think. Elijah's provision came through a widow, right, that had less than nothing. Her provision came through giving up the only thing she ever had. But both said yes and both were blessed. Which brings us to number three. Remember earlier when I said that in God's kingdom, we don't have to have fear, we can have expectancy, right? So number three, trusting God means I have expectancy, not, ooh, expectations. Trusting God means I have expectancy, not expectations. You can go ahead and fill those in. When we trust God completely, we have to let go of telling him how it's gonna be or how he's gonna do it. Because it doesn't make sense to us. If I were writing this woman's story, she's a widow, right? I would have thought, oh, well, like a really rich, you know, family member from another town is gonna give her a call, right? Oh, so-and-so passed away. You've come into a lot of money. Boo, yeah, rich widow, right? That's what I would think. Or maybe she's gonna, you know, I don't know if they had game shows in Israel, but maybe she's gonna come into like some money, you know, and a bunch of grain. Maybe, you know, you've won grain. I don't know how it would work. But in my imagination, I assume that it's gonna happen in this magical way. But we don't think like God thinks. My mind and your mind doesn't work like his does. And if we look at the circumstances of the time in which she lived to give her everything she wanted all at once, 
would have been her death sentence. Think about it. Three years, no food, water drying up. Everybody gets wind. Oh, there's a rich widow in town. She got stuff. The riots that would ensue, they would put the toilet paper shortage of 2020 to shame. She would have died. Her son and her would have been killed and whatever she was given, taken. Why did God not do it the way that we think? To protect her and to keep her coming back to him. Why doesn't God do things the way that we want him to? To protect us and to keep us coming back to him. I love the way Tony Evans puts it when he says, when God is your source, everything else is just a resource. It's all just what God uses to accomplish what he's already gonna do. You don't need those things. You need the one who is the keeper and the author and the finisher of all those things who's going to accomplish it. So what is God telling us this morning? He's telling us that giving to him is always going to involve risk. But when I give him the thing I value most, I'm telling him that I trust him with what I value most. And I don't have to be afraid about it. I can be expectant. And trusting him means that I can be expectant without expectations. Which brings us to our last point. This last point as I was preparing my message, God just like dropped this on me like a brick because I was like, Lord, I know there's, there's something else that you're wanting to say. And of course, when he does that, you go, ooh, that's good. And then you go, yeah, that wasn't me. That was, that was the Lord because, and, and you feel it because you feel him tell it to you and you're like, ooh, that hurts. I feel that. I'm humble just telling other people that because I feel that. I feel the weight of what you're saying and so point number four, giving to God isn't insurance, it's assurance. Giving to God isn't insurance, it's assurance. Giving to God does not mean we won't struggle. I'm gonna say that again, because we live sometimes in our Christian minds, this idea that we give our lives to Jesus and everything is magic. We're living in, you know, Christian Disneyland or whatever it is. Giving to God doesn't mean you won't struggle. Sometimes we think if we give what we value most to God, it's like insurance. God, I'm gonna give this to you, and, uh, you know, you're welcome. And I just know that, you know, down the line, when I'm in a bind, then, you know, you're, you're gonna remember what, what I did here. Okay, God? Like, you're, you're gonna, we're good. You're gonna remember this, I'm gonna scratch your back, you're gonna scratch mine, right? That's the kind of theology and relationship we create and we make our love with the Lord transactional. I give you this, it's what I value, you're gonna give me something down the line. When we make our giving to God, I don't care what it is, your relationship, your job, tithing, it's tough to not go there with tithing, right? But we do. 
It becomes transactional. And when we do that, we disrespect God and we reduce him to nothing more than Santa Claus. I'm a good little girl. I give my tithe on Sunday. And Lord, I just know that, you know, you're gonna honor it when I need that four-door sedan, you know, or whatever it might be, right? We do that. But when I give to God and I trust him completely and I see him move, it gives me the assurance that he is going to move again. That's how it works in God's kingdom. Because later on in the story, we see that the widow's son, he gets sick and he dies. Total curveball in our story. We're not expecting it. The death of her son is a double blow. Not just because she loses her son, which for those of you who have lost someone in your life, I have, you feel the weight and the pain of it. But in that same instance, she also lost her future. Because as a widow, she could not provide for herself. Her son, all of her hopes, all of her dreams, all of her ability to take care of herself for the years to come were all wrapped up in her son. And now he's gone. And you can feel her dream just shatter. And it says in verse 17 of 1 Kings 17, sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Verse 19, give me your son, Elijah replies. He took him from her arms carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his bed. And then he cried out to the Lord. Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I'm staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord. Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. Verse 22, the Lord heard Elijah's cry. I want to stop there. I think we all believe when we go through something painful like that, the loss of a hope, the loss of a dream, the loss of someone who's precious to us, we think God doesn't care. But God was listening to the cry of Elijah. His heart was one of compassion. And it says in verse 22, the Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. Elijah picked up the child, carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. Elijah cries out to God, God answers, and he brings her son back to life. The same God who feeds her and provides for her son is the same God who resurrects her son later. Today, you have the assurance 
Not the insurance, but the assurance that the same God who has come through it for you and provided in one area of your life will provide in every area of your life. I don't care what it is. It doesn't matter. Identify the area today. We're talking about it. You're feeling it. You're seeing it in your mind. The thing that you think he can't take care of. He brought a man back to life. And he can do that for you. You know what's cool? Just the parallel between the widow and us is that God can bring back to life the areas in your life that you think are dead. Because when she looked at her son, he looked dead. He was dead. There are things in your life, hopes that you think are dead, dreams that you think are dead. Maybe the chance to do something for a family member, to meet someone, to fall in love, to start a family, to have children. I don't care what it is. But God can resurrect the thing that you think today is dead. It's not talking about naming it and claiming it. We get, we get all jumbled in that as Christians. I'm gonna name it and claim it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna see it and then, ooh, that's mine, thank you, Jesus. Ooh, that's mine, thank you, Jesus. No, it's giving it and living it. Giving it and living it. It's about living in the blessing, living in the expectancy, living in the assurance that when you give God what you value most, he will come through every single time and he will do greater than you could ask, than you could think, or you could imagine. That's my God. Our memory verse today is Ephesians 3.20. We put these memory verses, I don't know if you guys know this, they're like on the notes every week and... We pass by them so easily. But like Pastor Terry was talking about last week, you don't have to know them verbatim. Like, you don't just sit there and recite it. But it's a truth. There's a truth on that note that when you need it, God's gonna bring it up. He's gonna remind you of it, and it's gonna get you through in that moment. So I want us to take this truth, this fact, this promise, and hide it deep in our hearts today. Ephesians 3.20, which says, never doubt God's mighty power to work in you and accomplish all this. He will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request, your most unbelievable dream, and exceed your wildest imagination. He will outdo them all, for his miraculous power constantly energizes you. Infinitely more, exceed, outdo. Listen to those verbs. Listen to those adjectives. The description of who our God is. Commit it to memory. Hide it in your heart. Hold it like the widow. That's all she had was a promise from God in the last meal. Whatever you have today, that last meal, hold it. Hold the promise of God. So I want us to take a minute and be real. Because I think it's important we come to church sometimes and we put up these things like, oh, that was a good message. And uh, I don't have anything going on in my life. My life is wonderful. Lies. All lies. I want us to be real. Because as we have been talking, we talk about giving God our all, right? We sing it. Lord, you can take it all and have it all and I surrender all. And there's all these songs that we sing on Sunday. 
But what is the one thing that you don't wanna give to God? There's one thing. I don't want you to get all hodgepodged up in, in all the things going on. What is the one thing you're not giving God today? As the worship team comes, um, it could be anything. Again, it doesn't have to be your money. It could be a relationship. It could be something you thought by this age, you know, um, as I'm approaching 40, a lot of my friends, oh, I, I thought by this age I'd be doing this. I thought by this age I'd be doing that. I'm like, oh, be quiet. You're young. But there is that expectancy of I would have been here. I should have had this and done this. And we think that God doesn't care about those things. Or maybe it's something that you have prayed on for a really long time. Maybe it's the only thing you have. And like that widow, you just, you cannot risk giving that to him. Right now, God is asking you to give all of the one thing you don't wanna give up. Maybe you've given him a part of it, a sliver of it. Well, Lord, you know, I'll trust you with this part of it. He says, oh, you gotta give me all of it so I have something to work with here. Give me all of it so I can take it and use all of my resources and become your source and work this through for you because I love you, because I care. Maybe some of you today are like, you know what, I've given him everything else. I've given him this and I've given him this and I've given him this and I've given him this. So why do I have to give him that? I've been there have moments like that. Lord, why do I have to give you this? The widow had to give him all that she had to be the one that he gave that particular blessing to. And that's my heart today. Lord, what particular blessing do you want to pour out in my life? What miracle do you want to do? How do you want to use me to bless someone else? Come in to that area of my life. Maybe today the one thing you haven't given him is your heart. I know, maybe there's somebody in the room, maybe there's someone watching today and the one thing you haven't really given him all of is your heart. It's so easy. It's so easy to do that. It's what we call here at Grace, getting on base with God getting on base with him. Just as, you know what, Lord? I believe that you're the son of God. I believe Elijah, Yahweh is my God. I admit that I've messed up and I've had expectations and I've made things transactional and I've, I've gone my own way. And I accept your forgiveness. I surrender my life and I express it in a prayer. If that's you, if you're in the room, if you're watching, with every head bowed and eyes closed, we're gonna pray that prayer right now. Someone right now, they're giving all of their heart to the Lord this morning. 
Jesus, I thank you. I believe that you are who you say you are. I believe you are the son of God. I believe that you are Yahweh and you can do what no other God can do. I admit that I've lost my way, made some wrong turns and bad decisions and things that have brought on shame and guilt and pain. But I'm accepting your forgiveness. I'm accepting what you've done to take all that away and replace it with hope and expectancy and assurance. I surrender my life to you right now and I express it with my words, a declaration of faith in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, heaven is rejoicing. They're having a party up there. We think we're having a party because it's Christmas time and everything's lit. In heaven, they are so excited. And if you have prayed that prayer with me today, uh, Pastor Rainier, I would love to talk to you after service. Um, if you're watching online, you can type me into the chat so that someone can reach out and minister to you personally this morning, you know? Now I know that the Spirit has been lovingly revealing what those things are and that we need to give to him. He's talking, we already know what it is. And you know what? I was thinking about this last night that every Christmas, right? Every Christmas, that's where we are, Christmas at Grace OC, it's Christmas time. We are reminded that God gave us what he valued most in the entire world, his son. There is nothing he valued most. And he gave that, he, he trusted that, he gave that to you to save you, to love you so that he could come into your situation and show himself faithful. And Jesus, he gave all of his life. I don't think we grasp the weight of that. The pain, physical, emotional, in that moment his flesh being broken for us, him hanging on that cross for us. How can we look him in the eye and say, Lord, I won't give you that. You can have this, but I won't give you that. When he gave everything, gave everything. I want us to pray for the one thing. So I'm gonna ask you to stand with me for a second. We're gonna take that one thing to him. I don't know what it is. You don't have to share it. He knows what it is. But I want you to take your hand and reach it upward. And then I want you to open your hand in an act of God, here it is. Here's not part of the thing. Here's not a sliver of the thing. Here's all of the thing I value most. I'm trusting you with it. You can have it. Come on, we're gonna pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you are a faithful God. We thank you that your heart moves with compassion for the one, for the widow, for the broken, for the hurting, for those that are facing death and loss, maybe their last meal. Lord, we thank you. 
that we don't have to be afraid. We can have expectancy. This thing in our hand, we release it to you. We give it to you. We are expectant for you to move. We are expectant for you to provide. Thank you for the assurance that you are who you say you are. Thank you for the assurance that you're gonna come through in every single area of our lives. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter what it looks like. And I am releasing in this moment the expectation that it's gotta be a certain way. Right now, he is asking you to release that with your hand, releasing the expectation of how it's gotta be because he's got something big planned. He's got something big that he wants to do in this moment in your life, a particular blessing that he wants to give to you as particular people in this particular time. I know it, I feel it, I believe it. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're gonna do. Thank you, Jesus, for how you are moving. Thank you, Jesus, we give it to you, we release it to you in this moment. In the name of Jesus, amen.